Let's pray. Lord, we are in awe of your word. Lord, we thank you for giving us your word. Lord, leaving us your word to go over, Lord, daily. As we look at your word today, we pray that, Lord, you will grow us up in your faith, in faith, in you. And may we be conformed to your image. Lord, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, at one point in my life, I went to Bible college in California, and I lived in a dormitory with lots of other young men. And the space in the dorm that I chose for myself was a quiet corner away from the main entrance because I tend to go to bed earlier than most people do. Unfortunately, there was a side exit near my bunk that one of the guys who stayed up the latest used to use at, as a night entrance so as not to disturb the majority of those sleeping in the main quarter. When he would enter, he never considered me and the few on my side of the dorm who chose that place for the purpose of peace, and he would bang the door open, awakening us. Well, I confronted him after a while and told him to enter quietly or use the main entrance, but he ignored my request and went on disturbing my precious sleep. So I grew to dislike him. What do you do in such a case? A young and immature Christian that I was, I did the wrong thing. I literally placed the stumbling block in the darkness a few feet from the door. So when I was inevitably awakened at night, I would at least have the gratification of hearing him suffer as well. Not the right thing to do, I know. Not the right way for a Christian to act. Sorry, Jim. Well, today I want to talk to you about the right way to act. Not placing metaphorical stumbling blocks in front of other people and forgiving them. Looking at our passage in Matthew 18, 21 to, through 35, forgiving up to seven times may have been, I believe, a pharisaical teaching, or it may have been Peter trying to clarify something that Jesus had said in Luke chapter 17 about forgiveness. I'm not sure where it came from, but I think it's doubtful that Peter would have come up with the numbers of uh, seven times by himself. And we don't know if Peter had a particular person in mind that he was forgiving, but I think that is likely. Why else would he have asked Jesus this question? And Peter was probably thinking that forgiving that brother up to seven times was being generous and exceedingly merciful. And is asking Jesus, Lord, how often shall I, shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him up to seven times? Peter may have been wanting to either talk to Jesus about the sin of his brother 
or be released from having to forgive his brother any longer. But in verse 22, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. No doubt meaning forgive him so many times that you cannot even count them, that you cannot remember how many times you've forgiven him. And from there, Jesus went on into one of his kingdom of heaven parables, revealing God's mercy toward us and how if we do not extend similar mercy to those indebted to us, God's mercy toward us is rescinded. And it's interesting that it is us causing the rescinding. How is that? Because God's forgiveness of us is meant to compel us to do likewise and to forgive others. But as we see in Jesus's parable, that is not what often happens. In Jesus's parable, a servant was forgiven a debt to his king that was impossible for him to repay. But afterward, he abusively demanded the payment of a minute debt that his fellow servant owed him. He choked the man and had him imprisoned before he could even try to pay back the debt. It was almost like he was blaming that poor soul for the debt that he had been forgiven of. And then the king, hearing about this from another servant, said to the man, who he had shown mercy to, you wicked servant. I forgave you all the debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. And Jesus finished that parable saying, so my Father in heaven also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. You know, there was only one reason that that wicked servant could even go to his fellow servant who, de uh, who he demanded immediate payment from, and that was because he was forgiven. Otherwise, he would have been sold off or put in prison himself. So why didn't he appreciate what had been done for him? Perhaps because he never took responsibility for his own wrongdoing and repented. He never repented. He simply begged for mercy and received it. Did he think that in demanding payment from his fellow servant, that would make him look better? Probably. But it was the opposite, wasn't it? And the point is that we have been forgiven infinitely much by God, and we must understand that. We must focus on that and not on our fellow servants, our fellow, uh, fellow man's faults and shortcomings 
Not focus on what other people owe you, but focus on God and God's goodness and what God has forgiven you. And that will enable you to forgive others the debts owed to you from the heart, as Jesus said. What is forgiveness other than not demanding retribution or, or repayment for wrongs done to you? It is you accepting the loss. In accounting terms, it's a write-off from a risk taken. And individually speaking, uh, what's the risk? Well, the risk is having relationships with other people. That's always risky. And the deeper we go in intimacy with each person, in our relationship with them, the more risky it becomes and the more we must trust that person. And so forgiveness in relationships is not making a person pay for the sin they committed against you, simply in exchange for their acknowledgement of the wrong they've committed and, and saying they are sorry. Jesus said, take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. And that is how our relationships grow deeper in trust as we forgive one another. As we get used to that relationship of love in that way. Admitting our faults, repenting, seeking forgiveness, and giving forgiveness to those who seek it from us. Do it because of what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. Again, Jesus said, if he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. Well, have you ever been sinned against? What Jesus said is not so easy to do, is it? All of us, of course, have been sinned against and all of us have sinned against others. In what ways? Slander? Putting in the minds of others allegations or innuendos intended to damage someone else's reputation? There's a lot of that going on right now in our world. And it doesn't matter if the person being slandered is a bad person or not. If he is, it is still not to be done. Tell the truth. Pray that the truth come out and leave it at that. And when you are slandered against, don't take matters into your own hands and repay. As we read in Romans 12 a few weeks ago, repay no evil for evil. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Do you believe that? Then why retaliate? What would it mean 
to forgive such an offense against you? Well, think of all the bad in you that only God knows about and that he has forgiven, and then leave what's been said falsely about you for God to deal with. That's what I do, and I know it's not easy. I've been there. And when you forgive, does it mean that you will not feel resentment toward that person afterward? Well, if they haven't repented, it's likely you still will. You have to give that to God too. It's a scar from the wound that you suffered, but it's only superficial. It's a feeling that may not change right away and may not change without that person repenting or making it up to you. But God can heal that too. If that person never repents, think of the consequences that they will be facing. They have to answer to God for that. He will hold them accountable. Again, don't take matters or justice into your own hands. It's not your job to do so. In many cases, you will have the opportunity to do so, and that's the test for us. Not the resentment that you might feel, but the choice to take revenge or not to. And if you choose to obey God's Holy Spirit and not to take revenge, that is where the healing and where your own sanctification begins. And you can look at the sins committed against you as sins committed against Jesus, whom you serve. What about somebody breaking promises to you? Some people always make promises that they cannot keep, and therefore they always break them. And sometimes they actually think they can keep them when they make them. But by not keeping promises, they are actually damaging themselves more than they are you. They damage their own credibility to their own loss. Can you pity that person? Can you pity them for that and forgive them of breaking their promises instead of holding them to each one for the rest of their lives? Can you leave it to God to deal with them? Forgiving in that case is not pretending that they had never broken a promise. That would be foolish. Trust has been broken. It has to be restored. But forgiving in that case is simply giving that person another chance. Have you ever broken a promise? Have you been forgiven? Have you been given another chance? What about when someone is physically or verbally abusive? Remember when that is a case that there is something deeper and unseen that is manifesting. Emotions of fear and anger are being expressed in an uncontrolled way, but there is something much deeper than the abuse that has to be dealt with first. When abuse is happening, you must remove yourself and find the issue behind it. Pray for that person. When you discover the issue, you will find where the emotion is coming from. 
when that is dealt with, unless it is hatred, you will see that the person did not really mean what they said or did in anger and in fear and lacking self-control. For some of us, it's very hard not to fight back against abuse when we are justified. Again, self-control, which is a fruit of the Spirit, is key. Remember, fight for others who cannot defend themselves, but never for yourself. Remove yourself and fight on your knees. What if someone steals or damages something that is yours? What does forgiveness look like then? Well, not requiring them to restore or repair is forgiving them. In that case, remember what Job said, Naked I have come from my mother's womb, naked shall I return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Forgiveness in that case is a choice that we make. It's not required if it's not sought, but God will bless us if we forgive regardless as a sign of his love for others and as a sign of our trust in him. In all of the above listed cases, damage was done and no one was contesting that. So not making a person pay for the sin that they committed against you is forgiving them. Asking God to forgive them goes even a step further than that. That's how we bless them. And that is what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 6 and Matthew 18 and what the Apostle Paul was referring to in chapter 12 of Romans, which we read a few weeks ago. But that is not what Paul is writing about in Romans 14, what we read today. That's different. That is about how other people act regardless of us and how we judge their motive. And judging motive is always wrong. That's God's job. God who can see the heart. And everyone is answerable to God, whether they know it or not, or whether they like it or not. And I think one of the biggest problems of our society is that most people don't believe that. Either they don't believe it, or their image of God is more like themselves than it is the true God. Without God and his word to answer to, it simply becomes what we judge about others and what we can justify or get away with ourselves while still having others think the best of us. Today we are living in such a time, we're living in a very, very dis divisive times when everyone seems to want to put the blame for everything on someone else. It's Trump's fault. It's China's fault. It's the World Health Organization's fault. It's a conspiracy. It's the corrupt politicians and officials, big business and corporation. It's the faulty education system, the political system, the justice system, law enforcement, the white man's privilege. It's the founding father's fault. 
It's the fault of the baby boomers. The same, of course, happened in Nazi Germany. They put the blame on someone else. And that goes on and on again today in our society. But all those who are saying that, all those who are blaming others, are also saying, we are better. It's not our fault. It seems like the world has gone mad. Many today no longer believe in law and order. Well, they should be given a chance to visit a country without it. They might appreciate it a little more. But why don't we understand that it's everyone's fault and always has been? It's our rebellion against God and his order. It's our fallen nature, our bent toward evil. And until we all admit it, we have no hope of things getting better, only worse. Our only hope is Jesus Christ, who came and died so that God might forgive us. But we have to acknowledge our sin and repent and not put the blame on someone else. Reading the Old Testament book of Joshua, I was struck this week with the passage in chapter 5, 13 through 15. It was just before the conquest of Canaan and Joshua, the leader of Israel, was preparing to lead God's people to take the fortified city of Jericho the following day. When he noticed a man with a drawn sword standing opposite of him. And not knowing the man, Joshua approached him. And in that very tense moment, probably with his hand on his own sword, he demanded, are you for us or for our adversaries? And the man responded, no. He was not for them or their adversary. He was for the Lord. In fact, he let Joshua know that he came as the commander of the army of the Lord. And that man, not Joshua, was the one with the authority to both ask the questions and give the commands. I think we all get it wrong. In the same way as Joshua, most often in our stance or our fight for justice, thinking that we are the ones who know best and assuming that God is on our side to help us. That's all wrong. It's God's battle, not ours. He is the commander and we are his servants. Now, how is this relevant to us today? Well, I am shocked and alarmed most days as I read different social media posts from Christian friends on different sides of social and political issues, each coming from entirely different perspectives and each chastening and even bashing the others for daring to disagree with them. What are these? These are stumbling blocks 
that will in all likelihood cause another to sin in their heart against you. And because of that, they are wrong even when they are right. And think about this. In your opinions, what has shaped your judgment? What has shaped it the most? Was it the society you grew up in? Was it your schooling, your family, your friends? Was it the news you watched or media in general? Think about the amount of time that you spent being influenced by all those people and things in comparison to the time that you spent alone in God's word and prayer and in Christian counsel so that the Holy Spirit could direct your thoughts and your judgment, influencing you toward the greatest good. We get it wrong when we think that our opinion, formed by ungodly and often self-serving influences for the most part, is right and therefore God is on our side to help us destroy everyone who opposes it. We should instead fall on our faces before God, like Joshua did, realizing that we are not in charge. God is. We should fall on our faces in worship and humbly say, what does my Lord say to his servant? If we are going to give our opinions to others as Christians, it had better be from God's word and God's counsel. Everyone has a master. As Romans 14 says, who are you to judge another servant? To his own master, he stands or falls. Each of us shall give account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. That's from Romans 14, 12 to 13. Well, I started this sermon by saying how I put a stumbling block in front of a brother's way, a physical stumbling block. But I want you to ask yourself, how many times have you recently put a stumbling block before your brother or sister? And I ask you to go to them to repent and to make it right, ask for their forgiveness and for those of you who've been sinned against in this way, forgive as God has forgiven you. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. Lord, to take the penalty for us and therefore release us not only from the payment of sin, but the bondage of sin. Lord, thank you that we are free from that bondage. And Lord, as we 
Lord, meet others each day who are not. Help us to show them the love of Christ, the love of God in Christ Jesus by acting in his spirit and forgiving them. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.